0: Guys, my name is Cole, I'm on staff here at Beach, uh, and we've been in this series of Who Do You Seek now for three weeks, and we're finishing it up here tonight. I'm especially excited uh, to get to close out this series, because I truly believe that what God has to say to us tonight is kind of the culmination of what He's been telling us these past two weeks, and that really the past two weeks of United, that this is the byproduct, this is the end result. And when I say it's the end result, it's because the very first week, Ryan talked about how we seek God daily on our own and how we draw nearer to God. And one of my favorite things about that week was, uh, we, we, similar to the video that, that Kendall just shared, we had a video um, of the Overby family and they were sharing about the ways that they seek God. And one of my favorite things was, was Kate said something so simple but so powerful. She said that if you call yourself a Christian, if you say that you have a relationship with God, then your relationship with God should look like a relationship. That you should spend time with him and get to know him more and, and desire to know him more. And in the same way as you desire to know somebody that you're sweet on or a, or a family member or somebody in your life that you have a relationship with, it's, it's noted by the way that you spend your time and where your attention lies. And then last week, Loudon shared about how we seek God in community. And kudos to you guys that are here tonight because this is it. Community is united. Community is life groups. And it's a very essential part of how we seek God. But why I'm so excited is because I do believe fully that if we seek God on our own daily and we seek God together in community, that it ultimately leads to this goal of helping others seek God. And that's what we're talking about tonight, that we are reached to be reachers, basically. And before I get too far into this, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. So bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would be in complete control over this time, God. God, that you be in control over my words. God, you be in control over our ears and our hearts. God, that we would desire to be changed. God, that we would seek to be different than we arrived, God, when we leave today. God, speak your words to us today. Let us not just be hearers of the word, God, but doers also. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So... Like I said, we're talking about how we help others seek God. And I felt like the best way of going about this idea of helping others seek God was to help y'all arrive to the why. The why do we help others seek God. And I kind of chuckle that because for me, that question is kind of funny within my job. You see, I have a boss, Pastor Kerry. uh, If y'all have seen him up here before, he's awesome. But his favorite question to ask is Why? He asks, what's the why behind, like, literally anything? What's the why behind we do baptisms out at the beach? What's the why behind doing this song at this point in the service? What's the why behind transitioning to this video or sharing this story? What's the why? What's the why? What's the why? And oftentimes, for me, that question gets annoying, or that question kind of gets comical. But what I've come to realize is that question is very powerful, That when we understand the why of something, when we understand the point behind something, it makes the the ability to get there, to get to that point, so much more digestible. It makes the the steps along that path so much more real as we realize the why behind it. And so I don't want to pursue what we're talking about tonight without us understanding why we should pursue it. Why God is calling us to us. And so I have a few reasons why that I want to share with you that God has placed on my heart. And the first one is super, super simple. The first one is this, that God tells us to tell others. The number one reason why we help others seek God is because God said so. You see, because in this book, from, from cover to cover, and this is something they talked about in big church, that it is a testimony of God's pursuit over us. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been chasing after us. And so when we read his word, we can, we can believe it and we can hold it as true. And we can put into practice the things that he calls towards us. And if you open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter, I'm going to open my water bottle. Matthew chapter 28 is the end of Matthew. And it's this thing that we refer to as the Great Commission, that Jesus is ascending into heaven, and he says this as kind of his final conversation with his disciples and with the people. And in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, because Jesus knew that what they needed to hear in that moment was not that I'm coming back soon or, or just hold tight, I'll be back in a minute. It was for them to be confident enough to go. That the reason why you seek God daily on your own and the reason why you seek God in community is ultimately so that you can go and help others to seek God. That the, the same thing can be replaced here where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and help people of all nations seek God. Earlier in Matthew, and you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to paraphrase. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus compares us as the salt of the earth. And if it wasn't clear enough, he goes even further to say that we are like a city on a hill, that we are like a lamp on a lampstand in a room, and how we would never think to cover that lamp because we desire the light that it produces. And if I'm a long way off from a town and it's up on a hill and it's glowing, I know that I'm walking towards that town because it's up on a hill, it's elevated, it's present. And Jesus finishes this analogy in Matthew 5 and he says that, that, therefore let our light shine before men. So they may see our good works and glorify God because of it. See, God tells us to tell others. And and the example that we carry is a byproduct of what he's been doing in our hearts. The second why of how we understand why we help others seek God is that God found you to find others. God found you to find others. You see, I think that God realized a very long time ago, that to win some, he only had to win one, that if he was able to completely transform and rewrite somebody's existence, their value, their passions, their pursuits, that he wasn't just changing that one person's heart, he was changing every single heart that that person would then go and change. And it's easy for us to understand this because we, we love to talk about things that we're excited about. You know, if, if, if you're looking for a restaurant, I, I'll tell you to go to the Grom or I'll tell you to go to Chick-fil-A because they're delicious places to eat. If you're going to see a movie, I'd say go see Baby Driver. If you never heard of it, I hadn't heard of it, it's a great movie. I would say that you won't want to drive afterward because you'll be like anxiety level a thousand. You feel like everybody's after you because the movie's about a guy who drives away from the cops and... But I, I have no problem putting my namesake behind going and seeing Baby Driver or going to Chick-fil-A because I believe in both of those things. Or, or it made more sense to me this past year in Jamaica. And, and every year we go to Jamaica, and truly the whole goal of Jamaica is what we're talking about here tonight, that we go there to help others seek God. But we're there in Jamaica, and we're serving all week, and we have dinner together and worship together. And in the dinners, we have different themes, whether you might sit amongst people who were born in the same month as you, or one of my personal favorites is we have date night. Now, date night is not a romantic thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is it's an opportunity for you to meet somebody and grow in a relationship and understand and connect with people, talk about things they like, talk about things they love. And I was so blessed as to be paired with Miss Abby Woodward. Abby, are you in here? What's up, girl? Me and Abby had a wonderful time. We talked about things that we liked. We talked about animals that we loved. But at a certain point in our conversation, the the, the tempo, the excitement, the intensity from Abby shifted dramatically. Because we got into something that she was truly passionate about. We got into something that she was willing to put her namesake behind. You see, I asked her a simple question. I said, what do you like to eat? And for Abby... There is no comparison in her life for what she likes to eat. There is one thing that reigns supreme, and weirdly enough—not weird. I'm sorry, not weirdly. It's not weird. It's crazins. That she lives and breeds crazins. They are the snack that is, she has them with her right now. She lives and breeds crazins. You see, the whole entire conversation when we started talking about crazins was, was craisins all the way from then on out. And, and even after the date night ended, she, she wasn't satisfied to just talk about craisins. She went to her room and grabbed the one pound bag. I mean, I mean, literally a pound of craisins that she brought with her to Jamaica to make me try them. And I could see her and she extended her hand of crazins to me. She knew that I would love them because she loved them. She was certain, That I would respond in the way that she had been changed by craisins. And you know what? I wasn't, because it's craisins. I don't know what craisins are. They weird me out. I think they're just a cranberry that's dried like a raisin. Is this Okay. And I think they all understand the point that I'm trying to make, but the hard thing becomes when we realize, okay, Cole, well, sure I can be excited about a movie or I can be compelled by the Spirit to talk about crazins. But what if I'm talking about the Lord? How can I be so on fire as to say that craisins are for you and for everybody when I'm actually talking about God? How can I say that craisins sent their only son to die when I'm talking about the Lord? And what I want to comfort you with is that you don't have to be ready. That God's never looking for the equipped. He's just looking for the willing. He's looking for people who are willing to take a step, willing to be bold, Willing to take one tiny leap of faith because that's where he shows up. Now, the way that I, I believe this and buy into this scripturally is through the story of Peter. You see, Peter was this fisherman who was one of Jesus' disciples, and his life literally begins in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus calls him into ministry. And he's fishing in a boat, and this guy on the side of the water says, Hey, come follow me. And Peter decides that it's willing, or he's willing to give up everything in his life to follow this guy that's telling him to follow him. He gives up his money, he gives up his job, he gives up his security and house and all those different things because a guy asks him to follow him. And you think to yourself, Man, what a great start to somebody's life that they're willing to give up everything. Man, Peter's probably going to just kill it from here on out. And unfortunately, he doesn't, because in Matthew chapter 14, he walks on water. Well, Jesus does it first, but he walks on water towards Jesus, but then he falls in. And Jesus responds, I mean, he picks him back up. And he's like, you know, why are you such of little faith? In Matthew chapter 16, he calls Peter the rock. The Lord, Jesus, calls Peter the rock that he's going to build his church on. And in the same chapter, he calls Peter Satan. He even goes as far as to tell Peter that when it comes time for him to be crucified, to die and live out the plan that God had set for his life, that at that moment Peter would deny him. And it's not even that Peter would deny him at knife point or at death point, that Peter would deny him to a little girl. That Jesus is is preparing to die and Peter's saying, I don't know the guy. The girl says, you know, weren't you with him? And he says, no, not me. You got the wrong guy. I've never seen that person in my life. And the reason why I love Peter is because, thank the Lord, his story doesn't end there. Yeah, I think a lot of us have this, this sentiment in our life like, man, how can God use me with where I'm at? But one of my favorite things about Peter is it doesn't end there. You see, in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is in the New Testament, and the book of Acts is a story of the early church. How how once Jesus left, what began to happen with this this Christianity, what began to happen is Jesus' name was spread amongst the land, and his disciples carried it to all the ends of the earth. You see, because in Acts chapter 2, Peter goes from this fisherman to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of chapter, or middle of chapter 2, He's been preaching this sermon. And it's kind of funny because literally the context or the, 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 the substance of his message is, y'all killed Jesus, y'all should repent. And yet what we see from Peter and his willingness to be bold just once for God starts in verse 40 of chapter 2. It says, With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. Now, this is not a comparison. I'm not saying that each of y'all are required to bring 3,000 people to Jesus. But what I'm talking about is that when God called Peter out of the boat, he knew he was calling 3,000 people out of the boat. He knew he wasn't just calling Peter. He was calling every single person that Peter would preach to and speak to. And I think some of y'all need to hear tonight that, you know, that you're hearing this message and you're saying, Cole, this is great. This is something that I feel like I do well. I speak to other people about Jesus. And, and it's a pat on the back. And yes, like, I want to celebrate those of y'all who are doing it well. But maybe what y'all need to hear is that you can't be satisfied in what God has done so far. Because Peter's story still doesn't end there. Two chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, and you don't have to turn there either, he preaches again. This time he gets put in jail, but it's not 3,000 people who come to know who Jesus is. It's 5,000. And maybe that y'all need to understand, and the fact that God is infinite, that he has no limit, means there's never a threshold or a ceiling to what he's done in your life. There's always a greater extent to which he can move and change and challenge and grow you. So that's why the second way that we understand the why is that God found you to find others. The third thing that we have to understand when we're understanding why we help others seek God is that God changed you to change others. Now, I feel like for some of y'all, it maybe seems like these, these two points are very similar, and you're saying, okay, I get it. Like, God's done something in my heart, and that's overflowing and compelling me to, to, to share it with other people. Why are you saying this again? It's because there is, for me, a very subtle difference that I only discovered by, by getting in the Word and, and, and getting ready to speak tonight. And it just dawned on me that God could have done this any so way he pleased. And when I say this, I mean reaching us, reaching his people. He could have done it however he pleased. It could have been that every single morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, the back of your eyelids turned into TV screens, and God said, I'm for you. Or don't make me come down there. Or I'll be back again dash Jesus. Or every billboard you see on your way to Georgia. But he doesn't do it that way. You see, because God knew that the most glorifying way To glorify himself was to use the very generation that betrayed him to help save each other. And that when he finds one to find many, and he changes one to change many, that's how he wanted to accomplish it. You see, because for me, I never feel more confident in my relationship with God or my understanding of his love than when I begin to explain it and share it with other people. When I remind people of how good God is, it reminds me of how good God is. When I share with others of how God is for them and loves them and is just pursuing them like crazy, it reminds me that he's doing all those same things for me because he chose to do it this way. He chose to use us. And I think the, the, the backside of that thought is that by choosing us, we have to understand that we were his first decision, We weren't a contingency plan. We were not a backup plan. We were not a Sunday night cramming to study for the test that's on Monday. God planned it this way. And the reason why I know he planned it this way comes from a chapter in Romans. Romans chapter 10. If you're fast, you can turn there. If not, it's up there on the screens. Now, in Romans chapter 10... God is revealing through this author, and he's, he's explaining that if somebody would but believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, then they will be saved. That's kind of the preceding verses to what we're about to talk about right here. So he's, he's, they're giving you the keys to how, we, how it is that we attain salvation. And in verse 13, it says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I think one of the best things that God wants to do in your heart tonight is make you realize or remind you that if it's not you, then who's it going to be? That he specifically placed relationships in your life for you to have an impact in. And for us to shy away from that is for us to say, well, then I guess it's not gonna happen. And like I said, like it's it's not in our power to convict or our power to change hearts, but God is just looking for us to be willing. And so, in the same way as it talks about here in Romans, we have to be willing. I think one of the final ways that we understand why it is that we help others seek God is another kind of mental shift or or an attention change. And for me, it's, it's, it's possibly one of the most powerful ones that is happening here. And it's that you are the others. That every single one of you was, was the other that somebody was trying to help seek God. That in a room filled to the brim as this one is, that I can never even begin to say that I've played a role in y'all being here. See, I can come up here on the stage and I can speak from my heart of what God has, has put on me and, and challenged to you guys without y'all being convicted enough or challenged enough or changed by God enough to actually invite a friend this room would be empty. And it's funny because for some of y'all, that conversation was super simple. A friend of yours said, hey, you want to come to United? And you said, yes, why haven't you asked me this before? It sounds awesome, I'm ready to be there. But for some of y'all, it was a challenge. It was an invitation that you said no to, and a follow-up invitation that you said no to, and a third invitation that you said no, stop asking me, and a fourth and a fifth. And then finally, just despite them, you came. You said, you know what? I'm going to prove to myself why it is that I don't want to be there. I'm going to prove to you so you can stop asking me. And ultimately, I'm going to show you why it's not for me. And for so many of you that that's your story, that you said no several times, and you're here tonight, is because when you finally decided that it was a chance for you to show up, God was right there. Literally, as you walked the door, he was screaming your name in excitement for you being here. Because you are the others. I am the others. One of the biggest tragedies of our faith or of our, of our existence would be that we would allow God's love to end with us. You know, it's it's not this perspective of God, you're so good. Thank you for filling me. Thank you for blessing me. Uh you're the best, you and me, dog. That he fills us so that we pour over and spill over into every single relationship in our life. The reason why I know this is true, that God desires us that intensely, is again from Scripture. And I'm going to speak through it quickly. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives these three parables. He talks about a lost sheep, he talks about a lost coin, he talks about a prodigal son. And each of these are are an example of God's perspective with seeking us and finding us and, and retrieving us. In the first example, it talks about a sheep owner who loses one sheep. He has 99 others, but it says that he leaves the 99 behind for the sake of finding the one. And until he finds the one, he doesn't go home. He seeks and he seeks and he seeks and he finds the one and he rejoices in finding the one. The parable of the lost coin is is a woman who loses a coin and it doesn't matter that she has more coins. What matters is the one that she's lost. She overturns her house, she tears up the floorboards, and rejoices when she finally finds the one coin. And then with the prodigal son, you have this, this boy who says to his dad, basically, I'd rather you be dead. Because I want my inheritance now. And the dad gives it willingly. He loves his son. And it says that the son takes the money and essentially lives wildly. He spends it quickly, he spends it on worldly things, and ultimately lies broke, living on the streets. And it dawns on him while he's living in the streets you know what? How much better would it be if I could just go back and be a servant? in my father's household at least then i'd have some food at least then i'd have a room i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna beg him to let me just please be a servant and you can picture this son kind of coming up the way head sunk knowing that he was in the wrong knowing that he failed going back to a place that he feels like he has no ability to be welcomed in Yet in Luke chapter 15, it explains it this way that while he was a long way off, his father saw him, ran to him, hugged him, kissed him, put rings on his fingers, a cloak on his back, threw a celebration in his honor. Because it didn't matter to the father where he had been, it didn't matter to the father what he had done, it didn't matter to the father how far he had gone. It mattered that he was home. He was celebrating that he was home. And I'm guilty of this myself. There's people in my life who I've written off and said, you know what? God's never going to reach them. They're too far gone. And what a ridiculous thought that is. You see, because sin divided all of us from God. It was a gap that none of us could have fixed. And yet, for those of us in this room that believe what we believe about Jesus, we know that he rescued us. So how couldn't he rescue somebody else? The limit of God's ability to impact your friends and your family or people in your life is a limit that you're inventing for yourself. As I grew up, I held a bunch of different jobs, and and a lot of them I loved, a lot of them I hated. And and Ryan oftentimes makes fun of me for this one, but uh, I lifeguarded for several summers. Uh, And he makes fun of me because the back of the hat says ocean rescue. And that seems like an overestimate of our ability or our training in a lot of ways. Of course it is. I'm not not rescuing the whole ocean. But we we would lifeguard out at Hannah Park and we went through all this different training to get us ready to to be responsive, to, to help people out when they're in distress. We did training from first aid to CPR to uh, buoy rescues and paddleboard rescues and every single morning you worked we did PT which lo- usually looked like running a mile, swimming a mile and running another mile. All because we wanted to be at the ready the moment we were needed. And a lot of what we did was, was, was designed to be preventative. That With a whistle you could blow somebody in before the issue you know, got out of control. That you would stop a situation from happening before it happened. But as we know in our lives, sometimes things happen without our control. Things go outside of our plan. And so there's training for that too. An example that speaks to me so clearly from scripture that that we participated in was was what was called cadaver recovery. Now, a cadaver, for those of you who don't know, is a dead body, a deceased corpse. That if somebody drowned in the water... We still had to find that person. And so what that process looked like is that for all 40 of the active guards, you would grab hand in hand and link up east to west. And the person who was furthest west would be just toes in the water. And the person all the way over here, furthest east, would be wading out in the ocean, holding a hand and swimming. And with one whistle in the middle, everybody would go down and take three big strokes And what you were doing in that moment is you were trying to make yourself as big as possible in hopes of bumping into this dead body. Because you've seen our water out here. It's murky. I mean, there's times where you get a little bit of ocean current that brings in clearer water, but for the most part, it's brown. It's dirty. And one of the most powerful things that clicked on me when I I was getting ready for this is that when you come back up after three strokes, it didn't matter where you ended up. Because invariably, somebody would be a little bit further ahead and a little bit further ahead of them because they, you know, swam a little farther in their three strokes. But every single time, you would reset to the furthest person back. The reason why you do that, the reason why you start again all the way back here where that one person didn't go that far is so that not an inch is missed. And even if it meant that I searched the same sand four times in a row, it didn't matter because finding that one thing, that one person mattered more than my preferences, my time, my commitment. And in the same way, that's what God has been declaring to us throughout this entire book. is That he would search the same way, he would search the same waters. If we fail the same way over and over again, it doesn't matter. He's still looking for you. So how could we be so selfish as to not help others Seek God. Tonight, the response is super easy, super simple. And as the bands come back up, there's two ways that I, that I feel like God is, is calling us to respond tonight. The first one is this that you are called to have relationships with people who don't know Jesus. It's super simple. And this room is wonderful. This room is great. I believe in the power of what happens here at United, but this is not the ultimate destination of your faith. That God desires to do something in you here tonight that carries into this week and carries into the week after and changes and challenges the friends around you. The reason why I know this is because when Jesus was here, all he did was spend time with people that don't know him. All he did was hang out with those that probably would have never braved the door Of United or Block 84, they would have never came here, because he knew that to help others seek him, it meant that he had to go help others seek him. And so, for some of y'all, that means that you need to reach back out to a friend that you kind of maybe wrote off or felt like you know it's just never going to happen. For some of y'all, y'all have powerful friendships that you need to bring somebody into, that you need to let them see what it looks like to love each other well and encourage each other well. And, and, and let people know that it's not about an invitation. It's not about them saying no and you just saying, all right, well, you know, see you later. That you'd be willing to love them enough that you would just spend time with them and show them and prove to them it doesn't matter if they ever come to United. The second way we respond is by serving. And tonight in the back room, we're gonna have several laptops set up and you can do this from your phone as well. It's case sensitive, so make sure it's all lowercase. But what I've come to know in my life is that I far too easily dismiss myself from God's plan. And what I mean to say this is that if you leave here tonight say, okay, I'm gonna reach out to a friend, great, I think you should. But what I see oftentimes is when I have that inclination that I need to talk to somebody, a week will go by, two weeks will go by. But when I'm serving, when I'm a part of something that's organized and focused on God, it makes sense serving God so firsthand that it's impossible not to. So we have things like Portside that Kendall talked about that you can go and serve and serving at Portside means that there's no mistake that you're helping others seek God. Or maybe it's here at United that you want to serve and be a part of teams that welcome students that get here for the first time or help make this room clean and set up. Maybe tonight it's, it's a calling to serve. I think the last Thing that God just kind of put on my heart just now, and it, and it connects with what Ryan talked about with this idea of the two services, is that ultimately we just have to realize it's not about our preferences, it's about God's. That I live, I have roommates, both of them who don't know Jesus, and yet I willingly dismiss myself from being active in those moments. I go home, I watch TV, I hang out with them with no consideration of having a conversation about God because it's easier not to. But at a certain point, I have to say no to my preference. And in the same way, we have to say no to our preference about having one united together. Because like Ryan said, if we have a room of 200 people that seats 200 people, where are they gonna sit? If we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone and go to a service that's earlier in the day or later in the evening... If we're not willing to not sit with our best friend because our best friend has to go to a different service, but we wanna be at the service that we feel like we're gonna have an impact and share Jesus and connect with people. What a mission field is ahead of you with the idea that we have of going to two services. We have to get our preferences out of the way. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would speak life and truth, God, in your love onto our hearts right now, God, that we would realize that we mattered infinitely much to you, God, that you were willing to give your son for each of us. God, why wouldn't we we be willing to give our time for somebody else? God, I, I praise you, Father, that you allow us to share in your glory, God, when we get to be a part of other people encountering you. God, what a privilege it is that you give us that opportunity, God. I pray that we would see it as such, crave it as such, delight in it as such. God, stir in us a willingness to be bold, a willingness to step out of what our preference might be, God, for the sake of serving God in your glory. Amen.